Peter Pan, Peter and Wendy by J. M. Barry. Chapter One Peter Breaks Through. All children, except one, grow up. They soon know that they will grow up. The way Wendy knew was this. One day, when she was two years old, she was playing in the garden. She plucked another flower and ran with it to her mother. I suppose she might have looked rather delightful. But Miss Darling put her hand on her heart and cried, Oh, why can't you remain like this forever? This is all that passed between them on the subject. For henceforth, Wendy knew she must grow up. You always know after you are two. Two is the beginning and the end. Of course, they lived at 14, house number, on the street, until Wendy came. Her mother was the chief one. She was a lonely, lovely lady with a romantic mind and such a sweet, mocking mouth. A romantic mind was like a tiny boxes, one within the other, and came from the puzzling east. However many you discover there is always one more. A sweet mocking mouth had one kissed one kissed it that Wendy would never get through there. It was perfectly capricious in the right hand corner. The way Mr Darling won her was this that many gentlemen had been boys when she was a girl discovered simultaneously that they loved her, and they all ran to her house to propose to her except Mr Darling, who took a cap and nipped in first, and so he got her. He got her, all of her, except the inner box and the kiss. He never knew what about the box and time. He gave up trying for the kiss. Wendy thought Napoleon could have got it, but I can picture him trying and then going off in a passion, slamming the door. Mr. Darling used to boast to Wendy that her mother not only loved him, but respected him. He's one of those deep ones who knew about stocks and shares, of course, no one really knows, but he quite seemed to know. He often said stocks were up and shares were down, in a way that made any woman respect him. Mrs. Darling was married in white. Was married in white. At first she kept the books perfectly, almost gleefully, as if they were a game. Not, not so much the Brussels spout was missing, but by the whole, qualifiers dropped out. And instead of them... There were pictures of babies about faces. She drew them when she should have been toddling up. They were Mrs. Darling guesses. Wendy came first, then John, then Michael. For a week or two after Wendy came, it was doubtful whether they would be able to keep her, as she was another mouth to feed. Mr. Darling was frightfully proud of her. But he was very honourable. He sat on the edge of Mrs. Darling's bed holding a hand and calculating expenses, while she looked at him imploringly. He wanted to risk it. Come what might, but there was not his ways. His way was with a pencil, a piece of paper, and if she confused him with suggestions, he had begun at the beginning. Again. Don't, now, don't interrupt, he would beg of her. I have one pound and seventeen here, and two and six at the office. I can cut off my coffee. At the office, say ten shillings, making two nine and six. With your eighteen, when you're eighteen and three, makes you three nine seven. A five nap nap 
in my checkbook. Makes eight nine seven. Who's that moving? Eight nine seven dot and carry seven. Don't speak my own. And a pound you let me to the man came to the door. Quiet, child. Don't and carry, child. There, you've done it. Did I say nine nine seven? Yes, I said nine nine seven. The question is, can we try it for a year or nine nine seven? Of course we can, George. She cried, but she was prejudiced in Wendy's favour. He's really the grandeur character of the two. Remember months? He wondered, almost threateningly, and off he went again. Months, one pound. That's what I put down. But I dare say it will be more like thirty shillings. Don't speak. Measles one five. Jumping measles half a guinea. Makes two fifteen. Six. Don't wiggle your finger. Whooping cough, say fifteen shillings. And so went on, and it added up. Differently each time. At last, Wendy got through with the mumps, reduced to twelve. Six and two kinds of measles treated as one. There was the next excitement over John and Michael had even a narrower squeak, but both were kept, and soon you might have seen the three of them going into the row to Mrs. Frumson's kindergarten school, occupied by the nurse. Mrs. Darling loved to have everything just so. Mr. Darling, a passion for being exactly like his neighbours, so of course they had a nurse. As they were poor, owing to the amount of milk the children drank, this nurse was a prim, Newfoundland dog, called Nana, who would have belonged to no one in particular to the darlings and gave her. She'd always thought children important. However, the darlings had become acquainted with her in kings and gardens, where she spent most of her spare time pilling and peeing into perimeters with such hatred by careless nursemaids, who she followed to their homes and complained to, of their mis to their mistresses. She proved to be quite a treasure of a nurse. How though she was at bath time and up at the moment of the night, if she was one of her charges, made the slightest cry. Of course, her kettle was in the nursery. She had a genius for knowing when a cough was a thing to have no patience with, when it was needs a stocking around your throat. She believed in her last day in old-fashioned remedies like rhubarb leaf and me sounds contempt over all this newfangled talk about germs and someone. It's a lesson in priority. In a sea escorting the children to school, walking sedately at their side, when they were well behaved and butting them back into line if they strayed, on John's footer, in English, England soccer, was called football, footer for short. Day she never once forgot his sweater. She usually carried an umbrella in her mouth, in case of rain, there is a room in the basement of Mrs. Fordson's school where the nurses wait. They sat on forms, or Nana lay on the floor. But that was in the different only difference. They affected to ignore her as if an inferior social status to themselves. She did please their light talk. She resented visits to the nursery from Mrs. Darling friends. But if they did come. She first whipped off Michael's pinafore and put him into one that with blue blading and smoothed out Wendy and made a dash to John's hair. No nursery could possibly have been conducted more correctly and Mrs. Darling 
Mr. Darling knew it, yet he sometimes wondered uneasily whether the neighbours talked. He had his position as city to consider. Nana had always troubled him in another way, and he had sometimes a feeling she did not admire him. I know she admires you tremendously, George, Mrs. Darling would show him, and then she would sign to the children to be especially nice to father. Lovely dances followed, which only another servant Lisa was sometimes allowed to join. Such a midget she looked in her long skirt, a maid's cap, though she was warm when engaged, she would never see ten again. The gaiety of their romps, the gayest of them all, was his darling, who would appear so wildly that all you could see was her, were, of her was a kiss, when it, if you dashed to her, you might have got it. There never was a simpler, happier family, until the coming of Peter Pan. Mrs. Darling first heard of Peter when she was charging up the children's minds. It is an old nightly custom of him, good mother. After children were asleep, the rummage in their minds and put things straight the next morning, repacking into proper places the many articles that have wandered during the day. If you should keep awake, but of course you can't, you would see your own mother doing this. You would find it very interesting to watch her. It's quite like tidying up drawers. You would see her on her knees, I expect lingering humorously over some of your contents, wondering where well enough you picked these things up. Making discoveries, sweet and not so sweet, pressing this to her cheeks, if they were as nice as a kitten, and hurriedly stowing them that out of sight. When you wake in the morning, the naughtiness and passion, evil passions, with you, which went to bed, have been folded up small and placed apart in your mind, atop beautifully aired, but spread out your frigier thoughts, ready to put you, for you to put on. I don't know whether you have ever seen a map of a person's mind. Doctors sometimes draw maps of other parts of you, and your own mind map can become intensely interesting. I catch them trying to draw a map of a child's mind, which is not only confused, but keeps going around all the time. There are zigzag lines on it, just like a temper shirt on a card. It's a, they are probably those in an island, but Leverland is always more or less an island. The astonishing splashes of colour. There and there, the coral reefs and rakish-looking craft in the offing, and savage and lonely lairs, and gnomes who most are mostly tailors, and caves through which a river runs, and princes with six elder brothers, a hut half going to decay, going to decay, one very small lady with hook nose. It'd be an easy map if they were all, but there. It's also first day school, religion, fathers, around Paul, needlework, murders, hangings, verbs, and take the dative, chocolate pudding day, getting into braces, say, nine, say 99, three pence for putting out your tooth yourself, and so on. And neither of these are part of the island, or they are another match showing through, it would still it's still rather confusing, especially as nothing will stand still. Of course, the Neverland way is a good, good deal. John, for instance, had a balloon with flamingos flying over it, in which John was shooting, like Michael, who is very small, had a flamingo with lagoons flying over it. John lived in a boat, turned upside down on the sands. Michael and the wigwam 
When in a house of leaves, deadly leaves sewn together, John had no friends. Michael had friends at night. When he had a pet wolf forsaken by its parents, but on the whole, the Neverland had a family resemblance. If he stood still in a row, you could say to them that you they have each other's nose, and so forth. On these magic shores, children at play are for each breaching their coral corals, simple boats. To we must have to have been there. We can still hear the sound of surf, for we shall land no more. All of the delectable islands of Leverland is the snugglest and most compact, not large and sprawly. You know, the tenderest distances between one adventure and another, but lastly crammed. You can play it in a day with chairs and table off. It's not the least alarming, but in two minutes before you go to sleep, it becomes very real. That is why they are night. That's why why there are night lights. A clay in her travels through her children's mind, Mrs. Darling, there are things she could not understand. And of those quite the most perplexing was the word Peter. She no knew Peter, and yet he was here and there in John and Michael's mind, or when it began to be scrawled all over with him. The name stood out in the bolder letters than any of the other words, and as Miss Darling gazed, she felt she heard, had an felt it had an oddly cocky appearance. Yes, he's rather cocky, Wendy admitted with regret. Her mother had been questioning her. But who is he, my pet? He's Peter Pan. You know, mother? At first, Mrs. Darling did not know. But after thinking back into her childhood, she remembered Peter Pan, who said to live with the fairies. There were old stories about him. As they, when children died, he went part way with them, so they should not be frightened. Yet she believed in him all the time. But now she is married, full of sense, she quite doubted whether there was any such person. Besides, she said to Wendy, he'd probably be grown up by this time. Oh no, he's not, he isn't grown up, Wendy assured her confidently. He's just my size. He meant, she meant that he was her size in both mind and body. She didn't know how she knew, but she knew it. Mrs. Darling consulted Mr. Darling, but he smiled, poo-pooed, but he smiled, poo-pooed. Well, my words, he said, is there, it is some nonsense, nonsense. Nana had been putting in their heads, just the sort of idea a dog would have. Leave it alone, and it will blow over, but it would not blow over, and soon a troublesome boy gave Mrs. Darling quite a shock. Children were having the strange adventures without being troubled by them. For instance, they may remember to mention a week after the event happened that they, that when they were in the wood, they met their dead father and had a game with him. It was quite, it was this in a casual way. And Wendy one morning made a disquieting revelation. Some leaves on a tree had been found in the nursery floor. We certainly were not there when the children went to bed. Mrs. Darling was puzzling over them. When Wendy said with a tolerant smile, I don't believe it was Peter again. Whatever do you mean, Wendy? It's so naughty of him not to wipe his feet. But he said, sighing, he she was a tiny child. She explained in quite a matter-of-fact way that she thought Peter sometimes came to the nursery on a night and sat on the foot of her bed and played with his pipes at her. Unfortunately, she never woke, so she didn't know what how she knew. But she, she knew, she just knew. What nonsense you talk, precious. No one can know.
No one can get into the house without knocking. I think he comes into my window, she said. My love, it's three, it is three floors up. Where, why not, where, where not the leaves at the front of the window, mother? Quite true, the leaves have been found. They're very near the window. Mrs. Dolling did not know what to think of it. Oh, it seems so natural to Wendy that you could dismiss it by saying she had been dreaming. My child, the woman cried, why did you tell not tell me this before? I forgot, said Wendy lightly. She was in a hurry to get to breakfast. Oh, surely she must have been dreaming. But on the other hand, there were the leaves. Mrs. Darling examined them very carefully. They were skeleton leaves. But she was sure they had not come from any tree that grew in England. She crawled around the floor, peering at it with a candle, for marks of a strange foot. As she rattled the poker up the chimney and tapped the walls, she let down a drip tape from the window to the pavement. It was a sheer drop of thirty feet, without so much as a spout to climb up by. Certainly Wendy had been dreaming, but Wendy had not been dreaming, as the very first night showed, which extraordinary adventures of these children may be said to have begun. On the night we speak of, all the children were once more in bed, had to be then as evening off, and Mrs. Darling had bathed them and sent them to one by one, let go of her hand and sent them away into the land of sleep. They were looking so safe and cosy. She smiled at her fears. Now I sat down tranquility by the fire to sew. Down tranquilly to sit by the fire to sew. It's something, it was something for Michael, who on his birthday was getting into shirts. The fire was warm, however, and the nursery lit, dimly lit by three light, night lights, and presently the sewing lay on Mrs. Darling's lap, when uh, then her head nodded. Oh, so gratefully she was asleep. Look at the four of them, Brenda, Michael, over there, John, here, Mrs. Darling by the fire. They should have, have been a fourth night light. While she slept, she had a dream. She dreamt that Neverland had come too near, that a strange boy had bogled for it. He did not harm her, for she thought she had seen him before. The faces of many women who had no children, perhaps he used to be found in the faces of some others also. But in a dream, she had to rent the film that obscures the Neverland. She saw Wendy and John and Michael paying for the gap. The dream itself would have been a trifle, but while she was dreaming, the window of the nursery blew open. A boy did drop on the floor. He was occupied by a strange light, no bigger than your fist, which darted about the room like a living thing. I think it must have been this light that wakened Mrs. Darling. She started up with a cry and saw the boy, and somehow she knew at once it was Peter Pan. If, if you or I were Wendy and you and had been there, we would have seen that he was very like Mrs. Darling's kiss. He was a lovely boy, clad in skeleton leaves, and juices that oozed out of his trees. But the most enchanting thing about him was all his front teeth. When he saw her, she was a grown she was a grown up. He gnashed the little pearls at her. Chapter 2 The Shadows
Mrs. Darling screamed as if it had answered her bell. The door opened and Nana entered. Returned from her evening out, she growled and sprang at the boy, who leapt lightly through the window. Again Mrs. Darling screamed, this time in distress for him, for she thought he was killed. She ran down the street to look for the little boy, but he was not there. She looked up at the dark night. She could see nothing but what she thought was a soothing star. She turned to the nursery, found Nana with something in her mouth, which proved to be the boy's shadow. As he leapt at the window, Nana had closed it quickly, too late to catch him, for his shadow had not had the time to get out. Sam went to the window and snapped it off. It may be sure Mrs. Darling examined the shadow carefully, for it is quite the ordinary kind. Nana had no doubt of what she, was the best thing to do with the shadow. She hung it out at the window, meaning he sure to come back for it. Let us put it there where he can get to it easily, without disturbing the children. But unfortunately, Mrs. Darling could not leave it hanging out of the window. It looked like the washing and lowered the whole tone of the house. She thought of showing it to Mr. Darling, who was tottering up winter great coats of John and Michael, with a wet towel around his head to keep his brain clear. It seemed a shame to trouble him. Besides, he knew exactly what he'd say. It all comes to having a doll for a nurse. She decided to roll the shadow up and put it away carefully in a drawer till the fiddly opportunity came for telling her husband, Ah, me! A opportunity came a week later. On that never do because I've forgotten Friday. Of course it was on Friday. I ought to have been especially careful on a Friday, she used to say afterwards to her husband. Well, perhaps Nana was on the other side of it, holding her hand. No, no, Mr. Darling, he always said. I am responsible for it all. I, George Darling, did it. Mimia copia, mimia copia. He had a classical education. They sat thus night of night recalling that fatal Friday till every detail of it stamped on their brains came through on the other side like faces of brain-bred coronage. It's only I had not accepted the invitation to dine, 27, Mrs. Darling said. If only you had not poured out my, my medicine to Nanny's bowl, said Mr. Darling. If only you had pretended to be to like the medicine, was what Nanny's, as I, what I said. My liking for parties, George. My fatal gift for humour, dearest. My touchiness at trifles, dear master and mistresses. Then one by one of them would break down together. together. Nana at the fault. It was truly true. They ought not to have had a dog for a nurse. Many a time it was, Miss Darling, who put the handkerchief to Nana's eyes. That's a fiend, my Mr. Darling would cry, and Nana's bark was to echo on it to it. Of it, but Mr. Darling never branded Peter. There was something in the right-hand corner of her mouth. He wanted her not to call Peter names. They sat there in the empty nursery, calling fondly every smallest detail of the dreadful evening. It began so eventually, so precisely like a hundred other evenings, with Anna putting in the water for Michael's bath and carrying him to it on her back. I won't go to bed, he said, had shouted, like one who still believed you had the last word on the subject. I won't, I won't, Nana. It's just six o'clock, isn't six o'clock yet? Oh dear, oh dear, I haven't, I shouldn't love you any more. Nana, I tell you, I won't be bathed. I won't, I won't. Then Mrs. Darling had come in, wearing a white dressing gown, evening gown, 
She had dressed very early, because Wendy so loved to see her in her early evening round with a necklace George had given her. She was wearing Wendy's bracelet on her arm. She had asked for the loan of it. Wendy loved to lend a bracelet to her mother. She had found her two older children playing at being as herself, a father on occasion of Wendy's birth, and John was sad in. I am happy to inform you, Mrs. Donnie, that you are now a mother, in such a, a tone as Mr. Darling himself may have used on a real occasion. Wendy had danced with joy, just as a real Mrs. Darling must have done. Then John was born, with the extra pomp that he could see due to the birth of a male. Merkel came from his bath to ask to be born again, but John said brutally he did not want any more. Michael had nearly, had nearly cried, Nobody wants me. He said, well, of course, a lady in evening dress could not stand but that. I do, she said. I do, I do want a third child. Boy or girl, asked Michael. Not too hopefully, a boy. Then he leapt into her arms. Such a little thing for Mr. and Mr. Darling, and then of a call now. But not so little as it was to be Michael's last night in nursery. Let's go with the recollections. It is in, and I rushed it like an... Like a tornado, wasn't it, Mrs. Darling would say, scorning himself. Indeed, he'd been like a tornado. Perhaps there's some excuse for him. He too had been dressing for a party. All had gone well with him until came to his tie. It was an astonishing thing to have to tell. This man, though, he knew about socks and shares, and no real mastery of his tie. Sometimes a thing yielded to him without a contest, but there were occasions when it would have been better for the house if he'd swallowed his pride and used a made-up tie. For such an occasion, he'd been came to rushing into the nursery with a crumpled little brute of a tie in his hand. Why? What is the matter, father dear? Matter, he yelled. He really yelled. This tie, it shall not, will not tie came dangerously sarcastic. Not round my neck, round the bedpost. Oh yes, twenty times have it have I made it round the bedpost. But round my neck no. My dear no. Begs to be excused. If he, f- he thought Mrs. Darling was not significantly impressed, and went on stunning, I warn you of this, mother, that unless this tie is round my neck, we don't go out to no no tonight. If we don't go out to dinner tonight, I never go to the office again. If I don't go to the office again, you and I starve, and children will be flung into the streets. Even then, Mrs. Darling was passive. Let me try, dear, she said, indeed. That was what he had come to ask of her to do. With her nice, cool hands, she tied it tight. Remember when the children stood around to see them, being, fa- being their fate decided, some would have resented her being able to do it so easily. But Mr. Darling had far too fine a nature for that, and painted carelessly, as once forgotten his rage, in another moment was dancing round the room with Michael on his back. How wally he wanted, romped, said Mrs. Darling, now, recalling it. Our last romp, Mr. Darling groaned. Oh, George, do you remember Michael suddenly said to me, how did you get to know, Mother? I remember you were rather sweet. Don't you think, George? They were... They were your hours, hours, and now they're gone. A romp had ended, and the appearance of Nana, most unlikely, Mr. Darling collided against her, covering his trousers with hairs, 
These were not all new trousers, but the first he had ever had were braided on them. He had not to bite his lip to prevent the tears coming. Of course, Mrs. Darling brushed him, but he began to talk about it being a mistake to have a dog for a nurse. George, Nana is a treasure, no doubt. I have an easy feeling at times that she looks upon children's puppies. Oh, no, dear one. I feel sure she wouldn't know that they have souls. I wonder, Mr. Darling said thoughtfully. I wonder if it was a opportunity his wife felt for telling him about the boy. At first she pooh-poohed the story, but he became thoughtful when she showed him the shadow. If it's nobody I know, he said, explaining it carefully, examining it carefully. It does look like a scandal. You were still discussing it, you remember, said Mrs. Darling, Mr. Darling. When then it came into with the medical medicine, you've never carried a bottle in your mouth again, Nana. It's all your fault. Strong man though he was, there's no doubt he had behaved rather foolishly over the medicine. If he had weakness, it was a thinking that all his life he had taken medicine boldly, and so now when Michael dodged the spoon in his mouth, he said reprovingly, be a man, Michael. Won't, won't, Michael said naughtily. Mrs. Barling left the room to get a chocolate for him. Mr. Darling thought he showed fond, want, showed, showed wanted for furtherness. Mike, mother, don't pamper him, he called after her. Michael, when it was your age, I took, your, took medicine without a murmur, I said. Thank you, kind parents, for giving me bottles to, to take, make me well. He really thought it was true, and Wendy, who is now in the nightgown, believed it so. And she said to encourage Michael, That medicine you sometimes take, Father, isn't much nastier, isn't it? Ever so much nastier, Mr. Darling said bravely. And I would take it now as an example for you, to you, Michael, if I didn't, hadn't lost the bottle. He had not exactly lost it. He climbed it in the dead of night to the top of the wardrobe and hidden it there. For he did not know was a faithful Lisa had found it and put it back on the back on his on his washstand. I know where it is, father, when he cried, always glad to be service. I'll bring it. She was off before he could stop her. Immediately his spirits sunk in the strangest way. John, he said, trembling, it's mid beastly stuff. It's that nasty stickery squint kind. It'll be over soon, father, John said cheerily, and then it rushed in Wendy, the mess in the glass. It would be as quick as I could, she panted. You've been wonderfully quick, her father retorted with vindictive politeness. It was quite thrown her away by her, upon her. Michael first, he said doggedly. Father first, said Michael, who was, was of a suspicious nature. I shall be sick, you know, Mr. Lloyd said, threateningly. Come on, father, said John. Hold your tongue, John, her father rapped out. Wendy was quite puzzled. I thought you took it a while. Took it quite easily, father. That's not the point you tilted. The point is that there's more to my glass in, in, in Michael's spoon. His proud heart was not, nearly bursting. Isn't fair, I should say, though. It's with, me, with my last breath. It isn't fair. Father, I'm waiting, said Michael coldly. If it's very well to say you are waiting, so am I waiting. Father, cowardly custard. Are you a cowardly custard? I'm not frightened. Neither I am I frightened. Well, then take it. Well, then take it. Wendy had a splendid idea. Why not both take it at the same time? Certainly, said Mr. Darling. Are you ready, Michael? Wendy gave the words, one, two, three. Michael took his medicine, but Mr. Darling slipped. He's behind his back. 
There was a yell raised from Michael. Oh, father, Wendy exclaimed. What do you mean, oh, father? Mr. Darling damned. Stop that row, Michael. I mean to take my, I meant to take it, man, but I missed it. It's dreadful the way all three of them looking at him, but as they did not, as if they did not mind him. Look here, all of you, he said, entreating as soon as Dana had gone into the bathroom. I have just thought of a splendid idea. I shall pour my medicine to Nanda's bowl, and she'll drink it until it's milk, thinking it's milk. It was the colour of milk, but children did not have their father's sense of humour. They looked at him reposefully, and he poured the medicine in Nanda's bowl. What fun, he said doubtfully, and they did not dare expose him when Mr. Darling and Nanda returned. Nanda, good dog, he said, patting her. I have put a little milk in your bowl, Nana. Nana wagged her tail, ran to the medicine, and began lapping it. Then she gave me Stalin such a look, not an angry, not an angry one. She showed him the great red tear that makes up the sorry for noble dogs and cracked into a kennel. Mr. Darling was frightfully ashamed of himself, but he did not give in. In a hurried silence, Mr. Darling smelt the bowl. Oh, George, she said, it's your medicine. It was only a joke, he roared. Oh, she comforted her boys. Wendy nagged Nana. How's Nana? Much good, he said brightly. My wearing myself to the bottom, trying to play funny in his house. And still Wendy hugged Nana. That's right, he shouted. Cuddle her. Nobody cuddles me. Oh dear, no. I'm only the breadwinner. Why should I be cuddled? Why, why, why? George, Mrs. Darling, retreated him. Not so loud. The servants will hear you. Somehow they got into the way. Accordingly, sir, the servants. Let them bring in the whole world. But I refuse to allow that dog to lord it in my nursery. For an hour longer, the children wept and then ran to help him. Beseechingly, but he waved her back. He felt he was a strong man again. In vain, in vain, he cried. A proper place for using the yard. And here we go to be tied up in this instant. George, George, Mrs. Darling whispered. I remember what I told you about the, that boy. Alas, he would not listen. He was determined to show who was master in the house, and when the commands would not draw Dana from the kennel, he loaded her out as if they were honey words, and seizing her roughly, dragged her from the nursery. He was ashamed of himself, yet he did it. It was all owing to his too affectionate nature, which had craved for attention and admiration. When he tied her up in the backyard, the wretched father went and sat in the passage with knuckles to his eyes. In the meantime, Mrs. Darling had put the children to bed in unwanted silence, lit their night lights. They could hear Nana barking, and John whimpered. It is because he is chaining her up in the yard, but Wendy was wiser. It's not, when, it's not and Wendy's unhappy bark, he said, little guessing what is about to happen. That is a bark when she spells danger. Danger? Are you sure, Wendy? Oh, yes. Mrs. Darling quivered and looked at the window. It was a securely fastened. She looked out. The night was peppered with stars. They were crowding round the house. It was curious to see what was to take place there. But she did not notice this. For this, that, two, or one or two of the small ones wrinkled at her. Yet a nameless fear clutched her heart, made her cry. Oh, I wish that I could, wasn't going to party tonight. Even Michael, already half asleep, knew that she was perturbed. And he asked, can, can anything harm us, Mother, after the night lights are lit? Nothing precious, she said. They are the eyes the mother leaves behind her to guard her children. She went from her bed to bed, singing enchantments over them, and little Michael flung his arms around her. 
Mother, he cried, I'm glad of you. There were the last words she used to hear from him for a long time. Number 27 was only a few yards distance, but there had been a slight fall of snow, and father and mother darling picked their way over to it definitely not the sole of their shoes. They were already the only persons in the street, only stars were watching them. Stars are beautiful, but they may not take the, an active part in anything. They must just look on forever. It is a punishment not to put on them for something they did not long ago, and no star now knows what it was. So the older ones have become glassy-eyed, seldom speak, winking in the star language. But the little ones still wonder. They are not really friendly to Peter, Peter, when he received his way of stealing up behind them and trying to blow him out. But they were so fond of fun. They were on his side tonight and anxious to get the grown-ups out of the way. So as soon as the door opened, the 27th closed. On Mr. and Mrs. Darling, there was this commotion, the filament, the smallest of the stars in the Milky Way screamed out, Now, Peter! Chapter 3 Come away, come away. For a moment after Mrs. Mrs. Darling left the house, the night lights by the beds, the three children continued to clean, burn clearly. They were awfully nice little night lights, and one could not help wishing they could not have kept awake to see Peter. And when his light blinked and gave such a yawn at the other two yawned also, for they could close their mouths, all three went out. There was the other light in the room now, a thousand times brighter than the night lights. At the time we had taken to say this, it had been in all the drawers in the nursery, looking for Peter's shadow, rummaged the wardrobe, and turned every pocket inside out. It was not really light. It made this light by flashing about so quickly, and when it came to rest for a second, you saw it was a fairy, no longer than your hand, but still growing. It was a girl called Tinkerbell, it's crisply ground in a skeleton leaf, cut low and square, though, though which her figure could be seen to the best advantage. She was slightly inclined to embodiment point, plump hourglass figure. A moment after the fairy's entrance, the window was blown open by breathing a little stars, and Peter dropped in. He had carried Tinkerbell paddled away. His hand was still messy with fairy dust. Tinkerbell, he said softly, after making sure that the children were asleep. Tink, where are you? She was in a jug for a moment, and liking it extremely. He'd never seen been in a jug before. Oh, do come out of the jug and tell me. Do you know where they put my shadow? The loveliest tinkle of all golden bells answered him. It was the fairy language. You only children can never hear it. But if you were to hear it, you would know that you had heard it once before. Pink said that the shadow was in a big box. She meant the chest of drawers, and Peter jumped at the drawers, scattered the contents of the floor, with both hands the king tossed on the to the crowd. In a moment he recovered his shadow, and in delight he forgot that he shut Tinkerbell up in the drawer. If he had thought of it at all, I don't believe he ever thought. It, it was that he and his shadow, when brought each other, each other, each other, were joining like drops of water. When they did not, he was appalled. He tried to stick it on with soap and water, 
But Elisabeth, a shudder passed through Peter, he sat on the floor and cried. So sobs woke Windy, and she sat on the bed. She was not alarmed to see a stranger crying on the nursery floor. She was only pleasantly interested. Boy, she said curiously, why are you crying? Peter could be could be extremely polite also, having learnt the good manners by ceremonies, fairy ceremonies, and as he rose, he bowed to her beautifully. She was so much pleased and bowed, bowed beautifully to him from the bed. What's your name? he asked. Wendy Mora Angela Darling, she replied with some satisfaction. What's your name? Peter Pan. She was already sure he must be Peter, but he did not seem a complimentary short name. Is that all? Yes, he said rather shortly. He felt for the first time it was the shortest name. Oh, I'm so sorry, said Wendy Mulga Angelina. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Peter gulped. She asked where he lived. Second to the right, said Peter, and then straight on till morning. That's a funny address, Peter had a stinking. For the first time he felt that perhaps it was a funny address. No, it isn't, he said. I mean, Wendy said nicely, remembering she was a hotess, is what they put on the letters. He wished he had not mentioned letters. Don't get any letters, he said contemptuously. But, you, but your mother gets letters. Don't have a mother, he said. Not only said he had no mother, he had not the slightest desire to have one. He thought that only overrated persons. Wendy ever felt at once that she was in the presence of a tragedy. Oh, Peter, no wonder you're crying, she said. I got out of bed and ran to him. I, won't, I wasn't crying about mothers, he said rather indignantly. I was crying because I didn't get my shadow to stick on. Besides, I wasn't crying. It was. It has come off. Yes. And when he saw the shadow on the floor, looking so draggled, and she's frightfully sorry for Peter. How awful! She said. She could not help smiling when she saw he'd been trying to stick it on with soap. How exactly like a boy! Fortunately, he knew at once what to do. It must be sewn on. She said with a little protesting. What sewn? She asked. You're dreadfully ignorant. No, I'm not. She was exulting at his ignorance. I shall sew it on for you, my little man, he said through, though he was tall as himself. She got out of a, put, got out of bed with the same bag and sewed the shadow peak on Peter's foot. I dare say it hurt him a little. She warned him. Oh, I shan't cry, said Peter, already on the of opinion. He had never cried in his life. He had quenched his teeth and did not cry, and showed his shadow was behaving properly. Though still a little squeezed. Perhaps I should have whined it, Peter Wendy said thoughtfully. But Peter Boylake was indifferent to appearances. He was now jumping about in the wildest glee. Alas, he had been already forgotten. He owed his bliss to Wendy. He thought he had touched the shadow himself. How clever am I? He ground rapturously, and the cleverest of me simulated to have confessed the conceit of Peter was one of his fantastic. Were fantastic, most fascinating of quantities. To put it with brutal frankness, there was never a cockier boy. For the moment, Wendy was shot. You conceitment, braggart, she explained with frightful sarcasm. Of course, I did no- I did nothing. You did a little, Peter said carelessly, a 
and continued to dance. A little, she replied with a hunter pride. If I'm not to use, I can leash for jaw. She sprang in the most dignified way in, into the bed and covered her face with blankets. To Drew said to look up, he pretended to be going away. When she felt, he sat up at the end of the bed and tapped her gently with his foot. Wendy, he said, don't be jaw. I can't help crowing. Wendy, when I'm pleased with myself, so she could not look up, though she was listening eagerly. Wendy, continued a voice that no woman had ever yet been able to resist. Wendy, one girl is more. You, more use than twenty boys. Now Wendy was every inch a woman, though there were not many inches. She peeped out of the bedclothes. Do you really think so, Peter? Yes, I do. I really think it's perfectly sweet of you. Wendy, she declared, I'll get up again. She sat with him on the side of the bed. She said, also said she could give him a kiss if he liked, but when Peter did not know what she meant, he held out his hand expectantly. Surely you know what a kiss is, she asked, aghast. I shall know when you give it to me, he replied stiffly, and not to hurt his feelings. She gave him a tumble. Now, said he, shall I give you a kiss? She replied with prim, slight primness, if you please. She made herself rather cheap by being kind in her face toward him, but he merely dropped an acorn button to her hand so she could slowly turn her face to where it had been seen before. They said nicely he could wear his kiss on a chain around her neck. It was lucky that she did put it on the chain, for it was afterwards to save her life. When pe- people in the, your set are reduced, it's customary for them to ask each other's age. So Wendy was always liked to do the correct thing. I figured how old he was. It wasn't really a pretty happy question to ask him. It was like an explanation paper that asks grammar. When what to know to be asked is to be asked is King of England, the Kings of England. I don't know, he replied uneasily. But I'm quite young. He really knew nothing about it. He merely suspicions. He'd said it, but he said at a venture, Wendy, I ran away the day I was born. Wendy was quite surprised but interested. She indicated in a charming drawing paper manner by a touch of the nightgown. He could sit near her. As it was because I heard father of her mother, exclaimed in a low voice, talking about how what I was going to be when I became a man. He's truly agitated now. I didn't want ever to be a man, he said with a passion. I always wanted to be a little boy and have fun. So I ran away to Kingston Gardens and lived a long, long time among the fairies. She gave him a look of the most intense admiration. He thought it was because he ran away, but it really because he knew fairies. When he lived such a home life, to know fairies struck with her was quite delightful. He pointed out questions about them, to his surprise, and rather a nuisance to him, getting his way and so on. Indeed, he sometimes had to give them a hiding spanking. Still... He had likened them on the whole. He told her about the beginning of fairies. You see, Wendy, when their first baby laughed for the first time, each laugh broke out a thousand pieces. It all went skipping him out, and that was the beginning of fairies. Tedious talk, this, but being a stay-at-home, she liked it. And so, he went on good-naturedly, there ought to be one fairy for every boy and girl. Ought to be, isn't there? No! You see, children such know such a lot now. They should don't believe in fairies. 
Least Tom, her child, says, oh, I don't believe in fairies. There's a fairy somewhere that falls down dead. Really, he thought. But now he talked enough about fairies. It stuck him that Tinkerbell was keeping very quiet. I don't think... I can't think where she's got them to, he said, raising. He could he called Tink by name. When his heart went flutter with a sudden thrill. Peter, she cried, clutching him. You don't mean to tell me there's a fairy in this room? She was here just right now, he said a little impatiently. You didn't, you don't hear it, do you? They both listened. I heard it. I only said I heard it here. So when is that like a twinkle of bells? Well, that's Tink. That's a fairy language. I think I heard it too. Sound came from a chest of drawers, and Peter made a merry face. No one could look quite so merry as Peter. And lovely as gurgles was his laughter. He had his first laugh still. Wendy, he whispered gleefully. Oh, I do believe I shut her up in the drawer. He put poor Tink out in the drawer. They put Tink out in the drawer, and she flew about. The nurse screamed with fury. You shouldn't say such things, Peter retorted. Oh, of course, I'm very sorry about what I couldn't know you were in the drawer. Wendy was not listening to him. Oh, Peter, she cried. If she could only stand still and let him see her. It hardly ever stands still, he said. But one moment Wendy saw the romantic figure. Nick came to rest on the cuckoo clock. Oh, the lovely, he cried, through Twink's face was still distorted with passion. Tink, said Peter Manbury. This lady thinks she wishes you were a fairy, Tinkerbell answered insolently. What does she say, Peter? He had to translate. She's not very polite. She says you are a great, huge, ugly girl, and she is my fairy. He tried to argue with Tink. You know, you can't be my fairy, Tink, because I'm a gentleman. You are a lady. To this, Tink replied in those words. You silly arse, and disappeared in the bathroom. She's quite a common pet fairy, Peter exclaimed apologetically. She's called Tinkerbell, because she mends the pots and kettles. Tinker, tin worker, similar to cinder, plus L to get cinder cellar in her. They were together in the armchair by the time, and Wendy polled him with some questions. If you don't live in Kensington Gardens now, sometimes I just still do. But where do you live mostly now? With the lost boys. Who are they? Then the children will fall out of their parameters when the nurses look in the other way. You're not claimed in seven days, so sent far away to Leverland to defray expenses. I'm captain. What fun it must be. Yes, said Cunning. Peter, but you were rather lonely. You see, we have no female companionship. You none of the other girls? Oh, no girls, you know. You were much too clever to fall out of their plans. This flattered Wendy immensely. I think, she said, it's perfectly lovely the way you talk about girls. John, they just surprises us. For a reply, Peter rose and kicked John out of bed. Blankets and all, one kick. They seemed to Wendy rather forward. For the first meeting, he told him with spite for it that she was not captain in her house. However, John continued to sleep so passively. I thought she allowed him to remain there. I know you meant to be kind, she said. Relating. So, you may give me a kiss for a moment you have given his ignorance about kissing. I thought you would want it back, he said a little bitterly, and offered to return her the thimble. No, dear, said, said the nice Wendy. I don't mean a kiss, I mean the thimble. 
What's that? I like, it's like this. She kissed him. Funny? said Bailey gravely. Now I shall give you a thimble. If you wish to, said Wendy, keeping her head erect. This time Peter thimbled her, and almost immediately she screeched. What is it, Wendy? It's exactly as if someone was pulling your hair. That must have been Tink. I never knew her so naughty before. A dear Tink was darting round, using offensive language. He says she do, will do you, do that to you, Wendy, every time I give you a thimble. But why? Why, Twink? Again, Twink replied, you silly arse. Pete could not understand why, but Wendy understood. She was just slightly disappointed. When he admitted he'd come to the nursery window, not to see her, but listen to the stories. You see, I don't know any stories. None of the boys know any stories. How perfectly awful, Wendy said. Do you know, Peter asked, why is Swallow's building the eaves in houses? He said, listen to the stories. Oh, Wendy, your mother was telling such a lovely story. What story is that? What about the prince? You couldn't find the lady. Whoa, the glass and the liver. Peter, said Wendy suddenly. That's Cinderella. He found her. They lived happily after, 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 ever after. Peter was so glad he rose from the floor. We'd been sitting and would hurry to the window. Where are you going? She said, quite a skipping. To tell the other boys. Don't go, Peter, she entreated. I know such lots of stories. These are the precise words. So there can be no denying that she must. She was who? It was she who first tempted him. Came back, and there was a greedy look in his eyes. Now, which ought to have alarmed her, but did not. Oh, the stories I could tell the boys! She cried. When then, Peter gripped her, began to draw her towards the window. Let me go! She ordered him. Wendy, do come with me. They tell the other boys. Of course, she was very pleased to be asked. But she said, "Oh dear, I can't. Think of Mummy. Besides, I can't fly. I'll teach you. Oh, how lovely to fly! I'll teach you how to jump on the boy's back, and then away we go." Oh, she exclaimed rapturously. Wendy, when are you sleeping in your silly bed? You might be flying about with me, saying funny things to the stars. Oh, and Wendy, you're a mermaid. Mermaid with tails. Such long tails. Oh, said cried Wendy. To see a mermaid. He had become frightfully cunning. Wendy, he said, how we sh- should all respect you. She's wriggling her body in distress. It's quite as if she's trying to remain on the nursery floor. But he had no pity for her. Wendy, he said, the sly one, you should tri- tuck us in at night. Oh, none of us had been tucked in at night. Oh, the arms went out to him. And you could don our clothes, make pockets for us. None of us have any pockets. How could could she resist? Of course, it's awfully fascinating, she cried. Pete, would you teach John and Michael to fly too? If you like, he said indifferently. He ran to Peter. She ran to Peter and Michael and shook them. Wake up, she cried. Peter Pan has come. He's to teach us to fly. Peter rubbed his eyes. Then I should get up. Should I get up? He said, of course, he was on the floor. Wendy, hello. He said, I'm, I'm up. Michael's up this time also. Looking as sharp as a knife with six blades and a solid. But Peter suddenly signed silence. Their faces assumed an awful gravitas. The children listening for sounds from the grown-up world. Oh, was it still salt? Then everything was right. No, stop. Everything was wrong. Nana, being barking distressfully all evening, was quiet now. 
It was a silence that they had heard. Out with the light! Hide quick! asked John, taking command for the only taking command for any time throughout the whole venture. And that's when Lisa entered, holding Nana and the nursery seemed quite itself all self, very dark, and you would have sworn you heard its three wicked inmates breathing angrily as they slept. They were really doing it awfully behind the window curtains. Lisa had a tired temper. She was for mixing the quicks of booking to the kitchen and being drawn with them, from them with a razor still in the cheek by Nana's absurd suspicions. She thought the best way of getting a little quiet would take Nana into the nursery for a moment by the customary. But in custody, of course. You are a suspicious brute, she said, not sorry that Nana was in disgrace. They're all perfectly safe, aren't they? Every one of those little angels sound asleep in bed. Listen to their gentle breathing. Their miracle encouraged by success, breathed so loudly that they were nearly detected. Nanny knew that the kind of breathing they should try to drag herself out on Lynch's crutches. She, but Lisa was dense. No more of it, no more of it, Nana, she said, sternly pulling out her out of the room. I will know if you bargain in, I shall go straight for your master and missus and bring them home from the party. And then, oh, don't master whip you just. She tried the happy unhappy dog again. But do you think, Nana, she's to bark? Being master and Mrs. Home for the party? Why, that was just what she wanted. Do you think she cared whether she was whipped, so long as her charge was safe? Unfortunately, Lisa returned to her puddies, and Nana, seeing that no help would come from her, stranded and stranded at the chain till at last she broke it. Another moment she burst into room 27, flung up her paws to heaven, a most suspensive way of making a communication. Mr. and Mrs. Dolly knew at once something terrible was happening in the nursery, and went out the way to the hostess. They rushed into the street. It was ten now ten minutes since those three scandals been breathing behind the curtains, and Peter Pan can do a great deal in ten minutes. We now return to the nursery. It's all right, John announced, emerging from his hiding place. I say, Peter, can you really fly? Instead of troubling to answer, him Peter flew around the room, making a man please taking the man please on the way. How topping, said John and Michael. How sweet, cried Wendy. Oh, yes, I'm sweet. Oh, sweet, said Peter, forgetting his manners again. It looked frightfully evilly. And he tried it first from the floor, then from the beds. He always went down, up, instead of up. I say, how do you do it? asked John. I mean, his knee. He's quite a practical boy. You're just think lovely fault. One lovely, wonderful fault, Peter was made. And he'd be lifted up in the air and showed him again. You know, so nippy at it, John said. Couldn't you do it very slowly once? Peter did both slowly and quickly. You've got it now, Wendy, by John. But soon he found you did not. Not one of them could fly an inch. Even though even, even, though even Michael was in, in words of two syllables. And Michael did not know a, a naive as Ed. Of course, Peter had been trifling with them. No one can fly unless a fairy does alone in him. Fortunately, as he, we have mentioned, when his hands were messy with it, he blown them on each of them with a more superb results. Now just wiggle his shoulders this way. He said, let's go. It was they, they, they were all on their beds. Gullet Michael let go first. Then they let the quiet. But he did not 
quite mean to let go, but he did it, and immediately he was borne across the across the room. I flew, he screamed, while in midair. John went let go and let Wendy near, Wendy near the bathroom. Oh, lovely! Oh, whipping! Look at him, me! Look at me! Look at me! And no, not so really so elegant, Peter. They could not keep kicking, help kicking a little. Their heads were bobbing against the scene. It was almost nothing to so delicious that Peter gave Wendy a hand at first, but had to desist. Tink was so indignant. I say, cried John, why shouldn't we go out? Of course, it was this that Peter had been lurking with them, luring them. Michael was ready. He wanted to see how long it took him to go billions of miles, but Wendy hesitated. Mermaid, said Peter again. Oh, any of pirates, pirates, cried John, seizing his sunny hat. Let's go at once. If that, just at this moment that Mr. and Mrs. Dowling hurried with Nana out of 27. They ran into the middle of the square to look at the nursery window. And yes, it was still shut, but the room was a blaze of light. Most of the heart-rending sight of all, you could see in the shadow of the curtain, three little figures in night attire, circling round the room, around and around, not at all, but in the air. Not three figures, four. In tremble, they stood out, stood in a tremble. They opened the street door. Mrs. Darling would have rushed upstairs, but Mrs. Darling signed him to go softly. She even tried to make her heart go, her heart go softly. When they reached the nursery time, if so, how delightful for them. We shall breathe a sigh of relief, but it will be no story. On the other hand, if it's not in time, I solemnly promise we will be all right in the end. It will be so, you, they would have reached the nursery in time, had it not been for the little stars watching them. Once again the stairs blew the window open, and that smallest star of all called out, Kay, Peter! And Peter knew there was not a moment to lose. Come, he cried embarrassedly, and Nord soared out at once to the night, followed by John, Michael, Wendy, Mr. and Mrs. Darling and Nana rushed into the nursery. Too late, the birds were flown. Chapter 4 The Flight, second to the right, and straight on till morning. That, Peter, I told Wendy, was the way to the Neverland. But even birds carrying maps had consolidated them as windy corners. Could not have sighted it. With these instructions, Peter, you see, said just anything that came into his head. First, the companion trusted him respectfully. And so great were the delights of flying. They wasted time circling round church fires or any other tall objects on the way. I took them fancy. John and Michael raced. Michael started getting a start. They called them with contempt. But not long ago, they had thought themselves fine fellows being able to fly round the room. But not long ago, how long ago, they were flying over the sea. But before this fault began to disturb Wendy, seriously, John thought it was the second sea and their third night. Sometimes it was dark and sometimes light. Now they were very cold and again too warm. Did they really feel hungry at times? Or were they merely pretending? Because my Peter had such a jolly new way of feeding them. His way was to pursue birds but who had food in their mouths, quite suitable humans, and snatch it for them. But the birds would follow and snatch it back. They would go on chasing again after, 
each other gaily for miles, parting at least for mutual expressions of goodwill. But Wendy noticed with twinkle concern, Peter did not know, seem to know that this is rather an odd way of getting your bread and butter, nor that they were other ways. Certainly they did not pretend to be sleepy. They were sleepy. That was a danger for the moment they was popped off. Down they fell. The awful thing was that Peter thought this was funny. There he goes again, he said, quite gleefully, and Michael suddenly dropped like a stone. Save him, save him, cried Wendy, looking if I had all seen far below. Eventually Peter would dive through the air, catch Michael just before he could strike the sea. It was lovely the way he did it. He's always wanted, waited till the last moment. He felt that he felt his cleverness. It interested him, not the saving of your life. It also found a variety of sport that engrossed him. One moment would suddenly cease to engage him, so there was always the possibility that next time he fell, he'd let you go. He could sleep in the air without falling by merely lying his back and floating, but this way he was partly at least because he was so light he could not be get he got behind him and behind him he went faster. Don't be do be more polite to him, Wendy whispered to John, when they were playing, follow my leader. They then tell him to stop showing off, said John. Then playing playing follow the night leader. Peter flowed close to the water and touched each shark's tail in passing. Just in the street, you might run your fingers along an iron railing. They should not follow him, and this with much success. So perhaps he's rather like showing off, especially as he kept looking behind him, see how many tails they missed. Must you must be nice to him, Wendy pressed on her brothers. What could we do if he were to leave us? He could go, we could go back, Michael said. How could we ever find our way back without him? Well then, we should go on, said John. That is an awful thing, John. We should have to go on. But you don't know how to stop. True, Peter forgotten to show them how to stop. John said it was the worst, came to worse. He had to go straight on, for the world was around. It was in time they must come back to their own window. That's how we get food to us, John. I um, it at once to uh, the eagle's mouth. It's pretty neatly, Wendy. After twenty try, Wendy reminded him, and even though he came good at picking up food, see how how he bumped against the clouds, bringing it, it and things. If it, it if he is not near to give us a hand, indeed they were constantly bumping. They could now fly strongly, though they still cut too much. But he saw a cloud in front of them. They more than tried to avoid it. They certainly did not. Did the more certainly did they bump into it? If Nan had been with them, she would have had to bandage around Michael's forearm by this time. Pete was not with them for the moment. They felt rather lonely up there by themselves. He could go so much faster than he could. He would suddenly shoot out of the sight to have some adventure in which he had no share. He would come down laughing over something fearfully funny. He had been saying to a star, but he could have only forgiven what, he to, he, what it was, or he could come up with mermaid scales still sticking to him, and yet not to be able to say to certain what was had been happening. It was rather irritating for children who had never seen a mermaid. If you forgive them so quickly, Wendy argued, how could we respect what he'd go on to remember us. Instead, sometimes, 
At least sometimes when he returned, he did not remember them. At least not well, when he was not sure of it. She saw recognition coming into his eyes as he went about to pass them time to day and day to go on. Once even she had to call him by name. I am Wendy, she said aggressively. He was very sorry. I say, Wendy, he was said to her. Always, if you see me, I may forget you. You can keep on saying, I'm Wendy. Then I'll remember. Of course, this was rather unsatisfactory. However, to make amends, he showed them how to lie out flat. Strong wind was coming their way. This was much a pleasant change, so they tried several times and found they could sleep. Thus, with security. Indeed, they would have slept longer. But Peter tried quickly of sleeping, and suddenly crying his back to his voice, We got, we get off, can we, we'll get off here. Soon with trif- occasional trifles, but on the whole rollicking, they grew nearer the Riverland, but after many moons they reached it. What is more, they had come pretty straight all the time, far perhaps so much owing to the kind Peter, or think, or so because the idol was looking at them. It's only thus that one of them made may sight those magical shores. There is, said Peter calmly. Where? Where are the arrows are pointing? Indeed, the children, million golden arrows, are pointing out to the children. All direction to the friend of the sun. I wanted them to be sure of their way before leaving them for the night. Wendy and John and Michael stood up on tiptoe in the air to get the first sight of the island. Strange to say, they all recognised at once that until fear pinned at them. They held, held it. Oh. Not... Uh, not as something long dreamt, and they seen at last a familiar friend to whom they were turning home for the, the holidays. John, there's the goon. Wendy, look. A turtle burying his eyes in the glass hand. I say, Wendy, I see your flamingo with a broken leg. Look, well, Michael, there's your cave. John, what's that in the brushwood? It's a wolf. It's a, a whelps. Wendy, I do believe that's your whelp. It's a whelp. It's my boat, John. Not with those sides towed in. No, it isn't. Why? We buried a boat. That's her. At any rate, I say, John, I see the smoke with the redskin camp. Where? Show me. I'll tell you by the way smoke curls whether they are on the Mopar. There, just across the mysterious river. I see you now. Yes, they're on the world path right enough. Peter was quite a little annoyed with them for knowing so much. For you wanted to lord over them with a triumphant hand. For have I not told you that non fierce fell full on them? Canes and arrows went, leaving the island in gloom. The old days at home never then always began to look a little dark and threatening by that time. Then unexpected patches rose in it, spread black shadows for moved across them and the roar of the beasts the prey. They're quite different now, and above all, you got you lost the sanity. You would would win. You're not quite. You were quite glad the night lights were on. Even you even like Nana to say this mate was just like the band piece over there. That the Neverland was all make was all make believe. Of course, Neverland was being make believe in those days. But it's real now. There's no light nights, and it was getting darker every every month. And where was Nana? They're flying apart. They huddled close to the Peter now. Killer's manner was all gone at last. His eyes were sparkling. A tangle went through them every time. Touched his body.
A tingle went through them every time they touched his body. They were now over the fearsome island, flying so low. Sometimes a tree came to think. Something horrid was visible in the air, yet their progress to the bottom became slow and laboured, exactly as they were pushing their way through the forces. Sometimes they hung on the air until Peter had beaten on, on it with his facts. They don't want us to land, it explained. What are you, who are they? Wendy whispered, shuddering. But he didn't want... He didn't, should, could not, or would not say. Think of all, I've been asleep on his shoulder, but now she, he'd wakened her and sent her in front. Sometimes he posed himself in the air, poised himself in the air, listening intently with his hands to his ear. Again, he would stare down, his eyes so bright that it seemed a bore two holes to earth. Having done these things, he went on again, his courage almost appalling. Would you like an adventure now? He, he said. Sometimes he poses himself in the air, listening intently, his hand on his ear. ear. Again he would stare down with his eyes so bright they seemed to ball to the whole earth. Having done these things, he went on again, his courage was almost bowling. Would you like an adventure now, he said casually to John, or would you like to have your tea first? When he said tea first, quickly, and Michael pressed her hand in gratitude. The braver John hesitated. What kind of adventure, he said cautiously. Here's a pirate ship in a pampas just behind beneath us, Peter told him. If you like, I'll go down and kill him. I didn't see him, John said, after a long pause. I don't suppose, John said a little huskily. We were to wake him up. John spoke indignantly. You joke, I can't think I should kill him while he's asleeping. If like, I'll wake him first, and then I'll kill him. That's the way I've always do. I say, do you kill many? Tons, John said. How ripping but decided to have tea first. He asked if how many parrots are must just now, and Peter said he had never known so many. Who oh, is the captain now? Ook, answered Peter. His face became very stern, as he said that hated word. You jazz, Ook, I. Then indeed, Michael began to cry, and then even John could speak in gurgles, only for the new Hulk's reputation. He's Black Boone's Boosom, John whispered huskily. He's worse than more. He's the only man whom Boom was afraid. Oh, what's, that's him, said Peter. That is he. Is he big? Not as big as he was. How do you mean? I cut him off a bit. You? Yes, me, said Peter sharply. I was meaning to be disrespectful, all right. Did I say that a bit? He's my hand. Did I say, but then he can't fight now. Oh! Can't she just left handed? Uh, he's an iron hook instead of a light hand. Any claws of it? Claws? I say, John, said Peter. Yes, say I, sir. Say I, sir. There's no one thing, Peter continued. There's a, that other, everybody serves under me, has the promise, so you must. You, Peter, paled. This is it, this. We met Hook and only a flight. You must leave him to him. I promise, John said loyally. For the moment they were feeling less eerie, because the thing was flying with them. In a light they could distinguish each other. Unfortunately, he could not fly so slowly as they. She had to go round and round, in a circle, in which they moved as a, as a halo. Michael quite liked it, until Peter pointed out the drawbacks. She tells me, she said, a part of the light sighted us from darkness, 
came, and then they got long to out. The long, the big guy, yes, of course, they meant. They must see the little, her, her light. They guessed that you were near, if they were assured to let you, let you fly. Might Wendy, John, Michael, tell her to go away at once, Peter. The three cried simultaneously, but he refused. She thinks we have lost their way, he replied stiffly. She's rather frightened. You must, you can't think I was her, send her away all the, by herself when she's frightened. For a moment the circle light was broken, and suddenly gave Peter a loving pinch. Tell her, Wendy begged, to put out her light. She can't put it out. There's about one thing fairies can't do. She just goes out itself when she falls asleep, just as the same as stars. And tell her to sleep at once, John almost ordered. You can't sleep. She can't sleep except when she's sleepy. It's the only one thing fairies can't do. Sometimes, seems to me, growled John, there are only two things worth doing. Worth doing. We've got a pinch, but not a lovely, not a loving one. If only one of us could had a pocket, Peter said. We could carry her in it. However, they set out in such a hurry. There no such. There was not such pocket between the four of them. He had a rapid idea. John's hat. Tink agreed to travel by hat as she was carried in the hand. John carried it. Though she, though she hopped in it to be carried by John carried by Peter. Presently Wendy took the hat because John had said it stuck against his knee as he flew. This is as we shall say led a mischief from Tinkerville hated to be under an obligation to Wendy. In the black top of the light was completely hidden. They flew in silence. It was the steadiest silence they'd known, broken once by a distant lapping, which Peter explained was a wild beast drinking in a fold. Again, a rasping sound that might have seemed even been the branches of rumbling themselves, but he said it was the redskins sharpening their knives. Even these noises ceased. To Michael, the loneliness was dreadful. It's only, if only something could make a sound, he cried, and if it answered his quest, the air was rent by the most treacherous crash he'd ever heard. A pirate's a firing long time at them. As roar of it echoed through the mountains, the echoes seemed to cry savagely, Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Thus sharply they did terrify the three, learned the difference between an island of make-believe and a sailor island came true. When at last the heavens were steady again, John and Michael found themselves alone in the darkness. John was treading in the air mechanically, and Michael, without knowing how to float, was floating. I shot John, whispered tremorously. I don't haven't I hadn't tried myself yet, Michael whimpered back. We know now that no one had been hit. Peter, however, been carried by the wind and shot far out to sea, and when he was blown back towards the no, with no companion but Tinkerbell, it would have been well should would have been well for Wendy if that moment she had dropped the hat. It didn't it, I don't know whether the idea came suddenly to a tink or whether she planned it on the way. But she at once popped out the, the hat, going to lure Wendy to her destruction. Tink had not all that bad, but rather, she's all bad just now. 
But, on the other hand, sometimes she was all good. Fairies had to be one thing or the other. Because, being so small, they fortunately have room for one feeling only at a time. They are, however, allowed to change it only. Must be a complete change. At present, she's full of jealousy. Oh, Wendy. What she said, what said in her lovely twinkle, Wendy, could not, of course, understood. Sad. I believe some of it had bad words, but it sounded kind of kind. And she flew back and forth, plainly me, follow me, and we all will be well. What else could Paul Wendy do? She called to Peter and Michael, um, John and Michael, and only got mocking echoes in ply. She could not, did not, no, I think hated her with fear, fierce hatred of a very woman, and so bewildered and now struggling in the light. She followed Tink to her doom.